Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. My name's John Fouché. I'm the executive pastor here at Oak City. We are going through this series called Connecting the Dots, where we've been studying Scripture and getting an overview for Scripture ever since January 1st. And we are now at the place today where we're going to study the book of Acts. And what we're going to see is God not just connecting the dots, but connecting His people. You know, the Jews have been scattered, and now He's gathered them. You know, one of the things that I love to do with my family is to do Legos. Uh, I really enjoy Legos. It's a lot of fun. One of the things we'll do is get our big bins of Legos and scatter them on blankets and then regather them and build some cool Lego creation. Now, kids, we're going to talk about gathering, how God gathers His people and scatters in, uh, His people. And kids, you're going to help me uh, illustrate that. This last week, several of you, about a dozen of you, uh, participated in our Easter Lego Challenge. It was a big event. Many of you put together your own creations. You sent me uh, your picture. You sent me the message that went with it. And the staff sat down this week, and we ranked them. And we basically came up with a winner and a runner-up. And at the end of today's gathering, I'm going to announce that. So after all the music, after all that, in the meantime, kids, you're going to help me communicate and share the good news about Jesus here today. I want to just give you several of the Lego uh, challenges that came in. The first one here was from Erin Drawn Dexter, and she's age seven. She said this on her picture, I made it for Easter to represent the cross. I made a house next to the cross. This is for when Jesus rose from the dead. Good job, Aaron. I really loved seeing that. Yours was one of the first ones that came through. Macy Wilser actually had a pretty cool one. This was a biblical story during Jesus' life about where was often the widow's offering. You see this line of people giving their money. And she quotes Mark 12, 43b, now I know, see that B, Macy, it's very impressive. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more money into the treasury than all the others. It's a beautiful picture, and you did a really good job. Thanks for entering into the challenge. Willie Pritchett had this one. This is creation of a girl hunting an Easter egg, and if you'll notice right there behind the tree, there's the Easter bunny. And that beast of bunny is hiding. It's so much fun. Thank you for doing that, Lily, age six. Josiah Fitzgerald, sit his in, age five. He's in kindergarten, and he's totally in Milan lately. And so this is a Chinese building. And the square at the bottom, he said, is where people walk in. So thanks, Josiah, for sending that in. One more before we jump in to the rest of them. Uh, and our message for today, Wyatt Gay, age 6.5. We made sure that we all knew six and a half. Way to go, Wyatt. He said, I built a tomb. In one picture, you could see where the tomb is closed. And you could see there's nothing there. It's the one in the picture with him in it. And then 
Where are you? I lost. Uh, and then the next picture, you can see the tomb is open and it's empty. I built an Easter bunny rabbit. These two things are what Easter means to me. So these kids, we didn't tell them, hey, you need to do any kind of spiritual language. We don't need to do just whatever comes to mind with Easter. Just put it together. And their creations, you could see they took their scattered Legos and make totally unique creations on their own. Today we're going to talk about God gathering his people and scattering them in the book of Acts. And if you have your Bibles, open them up or open an app to Acts chapter 2. While you're turning there, many of you might have already noticed Acts chapter 1 if you're reading along with the E100 Bible reading plan. Acts 1.8 in particular is a big little verse for the book of Acts. It's really the structure of the book of Acts. It's helpful for you to know. Jesus, right before he ascended, he says to his followers, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So that is our structure for the book of Acts. And we're going to see this start playing out as we talk about God's Spirit gathering and scattering believers in the book of Acts. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Let's talk about how God gathered his people. Now, this is a season uh, in the Jewish calendar uh, festival called Pentecost, where Jews would uh, come to Jerusalem from all over the Roman Empire and worship God at the temple. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire were appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. These are different ethnic groups that are there, and God's Spirit shows up. What happens here is the spiritual invades the physical. The spiritual invades the physical, and we see it in in several different ways. First of all, the wind comes through, the physical wind. Well, anybody that knew back then the language of the time, they'd know the word for spirit is the same word as wind or breath. Just as you look for a vital sign to see if someone's breathing, in this, to see if they're alive, so that you can spiritually understand if someone's alive by the presence of the Spirit. And so the Spirit comes not just in the, only in the individuals, but the group. Now, it also comes to the individuals in the form of fire over individual believers. Before, we had seen, for example, a pillar of fire, God's presence, come in one, fi- one pillar among His whole people in the Exodus, in the wilderness wanderings. But now we're seeing God indwell, the Spirit indwell individual believers. This is the new covenant that has begun, that God has put His law on the hearts of believers. And He, uh, he has given them a new heart where they are filled with the Spirit themselves, Himself. And so This is evidence of how the spiritual invades the physical. Even more so, something miraculous happens. 
the people start speaking in languages that they don't really know, but somebody else from another part of the Roman Empire recognizes as their second language. And people were saying, oh my gosh, that's my second language. I recognize what you're saying. You're, you're sharing to me the truths of God. And a miraculous thing happened. Now, not everybody of this 120 people in this room were totally moved. Some of them were skeptics. Some of them uh, mocked them, thinking that these people were drunk. And so 12 people stand up, and Peter preaches a sermon. And what he does is he first describes the bad news, and then he describes the good news. On the bad news in Acts chapter 2, verses 22, 23, and verse 40, Peter says, Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And with many other words, he, Peter, bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He's saying this group, this unbelieving group that is not believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose from the grave, they have grown crooked. The word in Greek is skolios. And kids, skoliosis is something called the curvature of the spine. It's where literally your back can curve. Some of you may have it. And if it goes to extreme, it could be a lot of physical pain. And even even the rare cases, it can actually make your back break. What he's saying here is that the Jews that are not believing and accepting in Jesus are crooked. That's the bad news. They're crooked. They believed in the wrong thing. They believed in a lie, and now they have grown morally off. They are not right, and, and this crooked generation will break your back. I had a Lego sent in from Sterling Fouché, age 25, in Nashville, Tennessee. And he spent a week building together this uh, Lamborghini here. Now, he didn't give me a message, but what if Sterling wrote, I think Lego Lamborghinis are better than Jesus. Okay? He didn't write that, but what if he did? Well, I would be concerned as his dad that he has begun to love something else more than Jesus. And he has grown crooked. He's believed in a lie. Many of us kids love Legos more than Jesus. We've got to admit it. We've got to come to terms with, uh, with the bad news. Some of us kids want to win this competition so bad. It's all about that. Some of us want the cold, hard cash so that we can spend at Target on the, and get a gift card so that we can go buy more Legos. We've got to realize there are times in our lives where we take some of God's wonderful gifts like Legos or money, or whatever it may be, a winning of a contest, and we make it more important than Jesus. When that happens, you start putting the gift over the giver of the gift, and you grow crooked. And Peter addresses that. And then he shares, though, the good news when they are wide opening and have accepted the bad news. Chapter 2, verse 37, 38, and verse 41. And when they heard this, They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, God's presence indwelling in you. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Wow. So there was originally 120 in this house, but the word went out. And that by the end of the day, we had 3,000 souls. What's Peter saying? He's saying you're going this way towards and walking with the crooked generation. But you need to turn. You need to repent and immerse yourself in the in Jesus Christ, in his life, who died on the cross for your sins to forgive your sins and give you the gift of God's presence with you. You can be with us instead, but you've got to love Jesus most. And so what you see here is God puts together a beautiful new community. Now, many of you kids did a great job of illustrating exactly this point, that Jesus Christ has risen. Wesley Fouché, for example, Age 10, about to be age 11. We're looking forward to that quite a bit. He says, Jesus has risen from the dead. And he's talking about his description here. Three women came to the tomb and saw an angel and ran, except Mary. The angel hopped down from the rock and said, he's risen. Jesus came out of the tomb and said, hi, Mary. How was your day? (laughs) And Jesus said, run down to the village and say, he is risen. Well done, Wes. It's a really good job. Ezra Watkins, eight years old. He has three scenes here. He says, scene one shows Jesus carrying the cross with a soldier behind him. Scene two shows Jesus on the cross with a soldier stabbing at his side. And there are two villagers weeping. Scene three shows Jesus out of the tomb with the two villagers saying, yay. I love it. And they're Minecraft guys that are saying, yay. Well done. Ezra. Claire Pritchett, age nine. She writes, Jesus with the crown of thorns on the cross while the earthquake is happening. I got to see this one in person. It was pretty cool. The sunset, notice the sunset there, and the lightning and the tomb, they're all in the background. She did a really good job of showing Jesus and his victory. Then Sam, Wilser. Sam, based on Matthew 28.6, Jesus' resurrection. She writes, he is not here. He has risen, just as he said he would. And then finally, Ava Watkins. She said this, I made a cross because Jesus died on the cross. Two girls were sad because Jesus died on the cross. I made it the cave that Jesus went in, but then the angel rolled the stone out of the way. And then she ends this way, Jesus loves you. And that's exactly right. Ava, you preach it, girl. That's what Jesus does. He loves us. He died on the cross for our sins and and rose from the grave so that we can participate in his life and be given the spirit that indwells with us. You know, when you look at the early church, this belief radically changes the community. If you look at the end of Acts chapter 2, this is what's happening. They're describing the marks and and the descriptors of the church at the time. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all were believing were together. Notice that word, together. And had things in common. This is not communism because you're going to see, as you've seen in the book of Acts, that they're voluntarily selling stuff. Verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They took care of the poor. And day by day, this is a daily gathering, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those being saved. What an amazing time. You know, this is the natural outcome of the love of God poured out upon His people. It's not always the reality for the church at all times because we're going to see in a minute they go through hard times. But it is the natural outcome uh, that we can look forward to. Alan Wilser said last week in an elder meeting, joining together is the essence of God. And he's right on. Joining together is the essence of God. That's what God does. He gathers his people. He joins them together. In fact, the word church literally means assembly or group. Or gathering. And so when we talk about our Sunday gathering, it's not the only place that we gather. We gather in homes. We gather uh, out to lunch. We gather other places. But it is this church that's physically coming together locally that celebrates remotely with the rest of the world that the universal church, that Jesus has risen from the dead. Now, this last year, we've had to uh, postpone our Sunday gatherings. And the elders did this, and I think hats goes off to them, because this shows that their organization, the church, was not number one. Like, they shut down Sunday gatherings on a regular basis, which doesn't make any organizational sense. It certainly doesn't make financial sense. But why do they do it? Because to display the love, to love people physically. And so for a time, that's what we've done. Now, let's look at some of the characteristics in the early church, and let's consider our church experience in the last year. Now, especially those of us that have joined online, and and let's just take all of us. Let's just actually look on us doing church remotely. You know, we can still do the universal church. We still are all believers in different places, at different times, at different locations, and we can be a part of the universal church, but we're not meeting most of the time in the last year Uh, Together, physically, the spiritual and the physical have been separated. And there are some things that we can still do. On YouTube, we could still do teaching. I could still say right now, go to oakcitychurch.com and send me a prayer request. I'm happy to pray with you. We obviously are seeing signs and wonders that are still happening. Uh, And even this last week, our staff uh, recounted a couple different miraculous healings that have happened in our church. I mean, this still is going on. God's Spirit still moves. But let's be honest. I'm not picking up on any of your nonverbals right now. I am teaching you, but I'm not pastoring you to the degree that I desire and that you probably would like somebody to do for you. I can't see your nonverbals. I can't see you slouching. <laughs> I can't see you in your pajamas. I can't see that. Uh, I really have no idea. But when we're in person, I can see your nonverbals. I can see you tear up. I can see what makes us click. I, I can stop and pray. And so these things we can keep doing, like the universal church, but we can't do quite as well. 
The home groups that quit meeting this year, um, they have been scattered. The ones that still met on Zoom, it's been better than nothing. It's actually been pretty good for a few of them. And meeting on Zoom has been really, really helpful. And the one or two that have really stuck with meeting, gathering together in person have still had a very good relational connecting experience because the spiritual and the physical were gathered together. But there are some things here that they're doing that we absolutely cannot do that we have to do locally. And that is the breaking of bread. You know, when we remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and rose from the grave and we celebrate it by eating communion together, by drinking of the cup, we experience together our common unity in Jesus Christ. You know, furthermore, really, really not personally distributing to the poor as God designed. There, it requires life on life. Somebody has to show up to someone in need and give them what they need. Now, we found creative ways to do that. Many of you have cared a lot and done a lot through Oak City Serves, and our team's done a great job with that. But it's been so hard to do because we're not gathering together physically. God intends the spiritual to invade the physical and for this to be integral to discipleship. Case in point, think about this way. In Acts 2, who's showing up to share the gospel? Is it the thousands and ten thousands of people in the crowds in Jesus' ministry that heard the Sermon on the Mount? No. Is the one speaking and proclaiming the gospel, is it, were they members of the 5,000 and 4,000? Well, they were serving there, but it wasn't any of those spectacular uh, people that participated in the spectacular miracle of God, uh, Jesus, feeding the 4,000 and 5,000? Was it the 500 that watched Jesus ascend into heaven? No. Who was it? It's the 12 that stands up. And Peter speaks this sermon. And God literally entrusted physically life-on-life discipleship in just 12 in order to reach the masses. Robert Coleman says this in the book, Master Plan of Evangelism. Jesus helped the multitudes, but devoted himself primarily to a few men so that the masses could at last be saved. This was the genius of his strategy. You know, this is the reverse of the way we normally think. At the business world, we have our funnels, and we're trying to do mass marketing or, or as many people and contacts we could get in the top of our funnel because we know if enough of those people buy, we're going to be able to provide food on the table at home. And so what we do is we go big and bring it down small, but Jesus goes the opposite. He invests into quality disciples by spending three years investing everything and every story and every minute of his time on these 12. And when the day comes that God's Spirit is unleashed, the power comes through life change. And God did not see it enough 2,000 years ago to invent YouTube, to invent a way to basically show the story of Jesus and televise it all over the world so that everybody could just mentally say, I believe it. No, he wanted to change lives, lives that were gathered together. And the Spirit moves in believers to gather together. It's a God-given desire. (coughs) 
you know, a lot of times, um, this last weekend when we were talking about Easter, uh, some of my friends were able to see their parents and their kids play together for the first time in a year. And it was a beautiful story to hear about. And he's like, I just long for our family to be together. You know, it's a God-given desire to long to be with your church community. And you may not be at the place where you're ready to gather again. I understand that. But that desire is a good thing. That's God saying, drawn you in. You know, if you don't desire to be with your family, something's off. Something's off. And that's worth talking to the Lord about. But we're working on regathering and regathering weekly. We're starting as a staff to start working on how we start regathering weekly. When Kelly was talking about volunteering with these kids and, and being a part of teaching them and discipling them, uh, it's really, really important that we have people say, I want to do life-on-life discipleship with kids because I want them to grow up to know Jesus. And unless they have an adult that's not an absent, removed adult, but one that's engaged, that's listening, that's talking, that's speaking the truth and showing love, they often will not really receive the gospel. They won't see Christ lived out. And uh, we're working at putting these and doing weekly gatherings together. We're looking at doing things a little bit differently in order to really do it well. Furthermore, with our youth, you know, we just had a youth (laughs) lock-in. It went crazy. Uh, We love the youth at this church, and we are actively beginning the search for a part-time youth director. Now, why is that? Because we want a staff person to love Love and lead leaders who love and lead kids to Jesus. And we believe life-on-life discipleship and investing in the few is the way to reach the masses. Now, I understand when I start bringing this up about meeting and gathering, a few of you might get a lump in your throat. But if you do desire to be with your church family, please don't fight that part with God. You could still wait on the Spirit to give you the green light when you feel like you're in a good place, or you're back healthy again, or you're in a good spot, or you've gotten vaccinated, whatever it is. But I want to ask you a favor. Will you decide today to regather? Will you decide today to cooperate with the Spirit to desire to see your church family again? Now, whenever that is, whenever COVID passes, that you've already decided it's a matter of when, not if, you will regather. I want to ask you to do that today. We're doing this because we believe that you need people investing in you. The spiritual and the physical must come together. And life together, quality discipleship is the way to reach the world. But let's just honestly be, let's just be honest. Your presence matters. Like you're missed. You're missed. And that's why we're doing it. Because people want to see you. Now, if you're not there and you don't want to see your church family or you don't have a church family, we want to ask you to just pray to God about that, that God would cultivate in you a desire to get back together, to connect, to gather, and to be able to enjoy the Spirit in our midst. Okay, so we talked about gathering. Let's talk about scattering. Something happens in Acts chapters 7 and 8 that's defining. Something happens that's defining. One of the early leaders, not an apostle, but what we later call a deacon, a servant leader, Stephen, is being a part of helping to distributing uh, food. 
And Stephen becomes a very bold person in the faith. And he falsely accuses things and then has a trial. And at his trial, he explains a few things. He explains, one, that the, um, that the temple and the priesthood are no longer necessary anymore. And that, two, he says that the Jews have acted like the Old Testament saints. Uh, they've rejected God. And by rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting God. And in the middle of all this, these leaders go nuts, okay? These leaders that, have, that are the same leaders that tried and crucified Christ are the ones he's standing in front before now. And this is what happens. After he finishes his message in Acts chapter 7, verse 54, it says, Now when they, the unbelieving Jews, heard these things, they were enraged. And they ground their teeth at him, Stephen. Why? Because he shared the bad news. But he also shared the good news, but they didn't pick up on that. They just were focused on the bad news. They weren't ready to really receive Christ as the Messiah. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed in heaven and saw the glory of God. Look at this. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were, and as they were stoning Stephen, look at this. He called out, Lord Receive my spirit. But that's not all he said. Watch this. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, who, by the way, is later the apostle Paul. Look at this. He approved of his execution. He was one of the persecutors. The anti-Jesus men. And there arose in that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so that mission of Christ starts to happening. As God had gathered believers in Jerusalem, now they're scattering in them, and they're going to other regions, and it's ultimately going to go to the ends of the earth. Now, there are several parallels here. First of all, both Jesus and Stephen are tried by this same religious elite group. Both are accused of blasphemy. Both are, have a bogus trial where false witnesses are brought against them. Both are sentenced to death. And listen to this. Both of them say, uh, Father, forgive them. While they're being killed by their persecuted. Don't you see here what Luke, the author of Acts, is saying is what Jesus has done, we are to imitate. That Jesus Christ said, I die so you can live. And that's what we are to do as well. Let me illustrate it this way. When we talk about the gospel, we often say that Christ died so that we can live. So you have Christ here 
and his followers. Christ shares the truth and love of God and notably dies on the cross for their sins. And those sins by Christ's followers are passed up and placed on Christ and Christ dies. It's a swap. Christ died so that we can live. Now, if you really think about Christ, he was dependent upon God. And what did Christ have going into him? He had the truth and love of God, the Father going into him through the power of the Spirit. And when he is in agony on the cross, the sin of the world and the pain that he was in is passed on. And that grief and uh, that despair and that lament is passed up to God. And so if we take this into Stephen's life, we can apply it with this slide, second slide here. That we really have the spirit that is filling Stephen with the truth of the gospel and the love of God in a very real way poured out in his heart. And then Stephen speaks both the bad news and the good news, the truth, and displays the love by dying. What is happening? Others are passing their stones on Stephen. They're persecuting him. And Stephen is... Uh, expressing that to God, but even more than that, what's actually wonderful about this scene is while his pain is going up to God as a sacrifice, so is his vision of heaven. (laughs) And so we can see here that what's going on here with God's presence and power, Stephen imitated Christ that others could live. And the application is here, we are to do the same. That's what the Spirit does. For example, with the Spirit and you and others. If you're a Christian, we could say that with God's power and presence, you will imitate Christ so that others can live. What must you do? You must rely daily on the Spirit to indwell you and to remind you of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, of your sin and Jesus' satisfaction of that uh, penalty that God is not mad at you anymore, that he loves you, that you get delight from your heavenly Father. And that love, in a very experiential way, starts to lead your life so that when you pour out into others, you're overflowing the truth and love of God into others. Now, a lot of times we're not being persecuted in this country, but we could be listening to our friend that's in pain, and we are listening to them, and we are absorbing some of their pain. And what we do and what we're called to do is pass that pain up to God and say, let me pray for you about this struggle that you're dealing with. And this interdependent relationship has to happen. And it begins with you being filled by the Spirit. And it, second of all, continues by you imitating Christ, by proclaiming and displaying the love of God so that others could experience the life. Now, I don't want to be be clear We spread the gospel through proclaiming and displaying Jesus, imitating him. But it's only really Christ's death that results in the one, in the person getting that life. It's a pass along, but the source is God. And the Savior is Christ. The Spirit moves in believers to scatter, to proclaim, and demonstrate boldly. Now, Stephen was betrayed, and Jesus was betrayed. And we understand what this is like. Stephen was betrayed by the Jewish leaders that were supposed to be his shepherds, and he was actually killed. Jesus was betrayed. I remember Caden Miller put this in 
this week, and I absolutely love this one. Caden writes, Jesus and his 12 disciples, this is before Jesus is crucified, they sit down, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. He's talking about Judas. I think that's very important because it shows how Jesus knows what will happen starting there and ending when he dies on the cross. You know, betrayal by a crooked generation is what we can expect. You know, one in eight Christians are persecuted worldwide. One in eight. One in eight. Persecution may rise in this country. Certainly being ostracized for a Christian is a lot more prevalent, it seems, as of late. And we may keep going towards persecution. But we need to realize that while there is a crooked generation that serves something other than God, uh, that we can turn and live in light of a life-giving spirit. Then even if persecution happens, the pain comes our way, we are going to be able to entrust it fully. And actually, if you look at it historically, the ones that are scattered, what do they do? They regather. God scatters his people through persecution, and then they regather in local churches all around the globe. This is how the churches become a worldwide movement. In China, or North Korea, or Iran, there's been an explosive, explosive movement of the Spirit because of persecution and the Spirit using that. Like Legos that are scattered, God begins to rebuild things that are beautiful. Christ's Spirit leads believers to connect, to gather and scatter. Why? Ultimately, to bring the gospel to the nations. And as Acts moves on, it talks about ethnic barriers being broken down. A man in Africa from Ethiopia uh, hears the gospel and, and as far as we could tell, brings it to the continent of Europe. And only later does it go to Europe and spread in churches there. Really, Africa, for quite some time, shares in the proclamation of the gospel. There are other apostles that rumored and went to Asia. And that's what's happening is God is letting all tribes, tongues, and nations, all ethnic groups come together with no division, no barrier, so that more and more people could see it. Now, no longer do we all go to Jerusalem. No longer do we have a capital city because of persecution. God designed it this way. And that we go and gather in our local communities, both over lunch and in our families, in our home groups, in our local churches, in other places. We gather with believers physically and spiritually. Now, what's the so what? Let's, let's bring it down to this. Here's what you need to decide. One. Am I really ready for the Spirit to lead my life? Am I, do I believe that the Holy Spirit indwells me because I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sins and rose from the grave? And if so, am I willing to imitate the truth and love of Jesus to others? Am I willing to pass along the things of God to those around me? Am I willing to sacrifice myself or not? Well, there's two parts to this. There's the spirit and the decision to love. 
Let's go first for the decision to love. Ultimately, you've got to decide, are you going to be like those Jewish leaders that persecute, that say, hey, you for me, I don't like losing power. I don't like losing approval. I don't like losing those things that I've held most deeply, and so I'm going to persecute you. You've got to sacrifice for me. Well, like you, like any absent parent, any uh, abused, uh, abusing parent, what that parent is doing is saying, child, you've got to serve me. And what happens? That child grows up more often than not crooked. Unless somebody else steps in and helps realign that child, uh, that child grows up crooked. That's selfish love. But if we decide to love, to demonstrate the truth and love of Jesus, to proclaim and display it, then what do we need to do? We need to say, me for you, like Christ did for us. Me for you. I sacrifice so that you could live. I take a little bit of pain so that you could have a, a lot of life. I'm passing along the things from the Spirit. In other words, this decision to love is not enough. You also need to have a source. You need to have the Spirit poured into you. Because you can't just be a bleeding heart that bleeds to death. You've got to have a life-giving uh, source coming into you so that you have the love of Jesus to pour it along. And this is where your view of the Spirit is so important. I have a friend of mine that's a pastor in Guatemala. He grew up in Guatemala. He spent a fair amount of time in the States. And he said, y'all really view the spiritual world and this God's Spirit very differently as especially white Christians in the States. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, we intermarried with the Mayans. You know, the Spanish intermarried with the Mayans. And, and we never really got rid of this belief that there's a spiritual world. And so even somebody that's not a believer in Jesus believes in a spiritual world. And so when they become a Christian, they just expect that the new spirit, God's spirit, is the one leading them now. And he said, but y'all don't do that. And he said, I don't know why it was. Maybe it's because you persecuted those groups that really kept a spiritual world like African Americans or that you ran off the native peoples. He said, I don't know. But it's almost like, especially the white church in the States just kind of merely hopes that the Spirit would show up in their day. Like get, like get a coin and throw it in the wishing well and like, God, if you want to show up in my lot day, you want to show up in this relationship, if you want to empower me to love, then here we go. And that's why I, th I thought, that is really true. He said, I think you need to, he said this, John Fouchet, you need to expect that the Spirit is present and will lead you moment by moment every day. And from that moment on, about nine years ago to today, about every other day I pray, when I go to a meeting or something, Lord, I expect you to show up. I expect you to move. And I want to ask you to expect the Lord would use His Spirit to give you a desire to gather, give you a desire to scatter and proclaim and demonstrate the love boldly, and do it in such a way that people see the love of Jesus. They feel and they touch. They experience the very much the love that is coming their direction that God wants to do through you. God's Spirit leads believers to connect like Legos. 
to gather and scatter, to share the gospel to the nations. I challenge you to be a part of being filled with the Spirit today and choosing to love like Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you just for the incredible gift it has been in the midst of COVID to come to the realization that I have a real need to connect. That I am thankful for online church and all the technology that's maintained those connections, but Lord, it's not the same. And I thank you. It's because you designed the physical and the spiritual to come together. Lord, help us in our different homes this very time know that you love us and you pour yourself out upon us that we may be able to do the same with others. In Jesus' name, amen.